Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So there was a time when uh, the one known as the tempter was with Jesus in the wilderness and in a series of events in which he attempted to persuade Jesus to do things that were beyond his character, Matthew's account tells us that the tempter took Jesus to a very high mountain and that the tempter showed, the Greek word for that word show is dachnomy, he dachnomy, he showed to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Hepago, which is the Greek word for be gone, Satan. Now, hang with me on the Greek stuff, okay? Um, I'm going somewhere with it. It's interesting that here where we are in the, in this morning in the gospel, which is in, in the wake of this big declaration by Peter just a few verses ago when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus told Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven in this talk again of kingdom and Jesus' ownership of the kingdom of heaven, just like we had on on that very high mountain, Matthew says, from that time, and I printed this in your bulletin just so that you could see it. So if, if you're not sure where we are, it's, it's right there, page four. From that time, Jesus began to date me to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and on the third day be raised. And... Look at what happens when Peter tries to confront Jesus about this. Jesus, in the same way he did in the wilderness, issues a command directly to Satan. And in the Greek, it's hupago. He uses that very same word. Now, some Bible translations, instead of saying that Jesus showed his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, they say that Jesus explained to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And with as much academic humility as I can muster, and because I'm not a Greek scholar, I still have to say I think they're wrong. Um, Because I think it's clear that Matthew is connecting these two events. One of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by being shown the kingdoms of the earth and then him commanding Satan to get away. And two, Jesus showing his disciples of the true path that he must take for the kingdom of heaven. And then again, him commanding Satan to get away. Shown kingdom get away, shown kingdom, get away. So translating that Greek verb as show to me is of great importance. Now, I realize that this is, this probably excites me more than it excites you, but a big part of the reason that it excites me is because it tells us something of following Jesus. It tells us that the way of Jesus is one of showing, of exemplifying, of living it out, of revealing the kingdom of heaven through your life on earth, because that's how he lived his. More than an explanation, it was showing. And you think, oh, you know, yeah, of course, it's obvious. That's, that's what I hear in church most weeks. Why'd you have to, you know, drag us through all the Greek stuff? Because I think, I think a lot of folks, a lot of Christians can get so caught up and saying the right things about Jesus, and in making sure that others say the right things about Jesus, that they begin to somehow believe that the crux and power of our faith is within the words that we say more than the things that we actually go and do. 
And that isn't to say that our words aren't important. The writers of Scripture are clear. God is clear. Words are important. The things that we say do have power. But if there is any corrective to be made, let us then look to this pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry in which he opts to show his disciples the way. What does your life say of Jesus and of the kingdom of heaven? If you were rendered unable to speak, what sermon does your life preach? This is why Paul said to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And yes, he goes on to talk about the transformation of our minds, but Paul also understands that our minds can be transformed by the movement of our bodies. In fact, there are studies in, in neuroscience and mental health that make clear that as we discipline, as we actually physically move our bodies, it's our minds that will follow and change, not the other way around. And so we sacrifice, we give, we offer not just our cognitive assent to the gospel, but our entire selves. In, in a version of our Eucharistic prayers, you will hear a priest stand before the bread and the wine and before the congregation and before the Lord and says, here we offer and present to you, O Lord, ourselves, our souls, and our bodies. Every single day that we wake up and live and breathe in this world, you and I have countless opportunities to show the way of the kingdom of heaven before and beyond all words, our, our lives and actions and bodies declare a way. But what is the way that your life declares? The second movement of this passage that I, I want you to consider for a moment is that this living out, this movement, doesn't come without distraction. Both in the wilderness alone and among his closest friends and followers, distraction came as a force that Jesus had to deal with. Ongoing attention studies are showing that it takes longer and longer for us to refocus on a task when we're distracted. In other words, the distractions of our day are becoming more and more invasive and more and more destructive to our ability to focus and pay attention for long periods of time. Currently, that number is around 28 minutes, 28 minutes to refocus on a task, assuming that we were single tasking in the first place. So students, if you're zoned in writing a paper and a notification hits your phone, which then buzzes on your desk, and you think that you're taking 30 seconds to answer it and that you're back to whatever it is that you were doing, uh, the truth is no, it's actually taken you about 30 minutes to get back to what you were doing. That's assuming that you actually try to get back to what you were doing. So, parents, you're welcome. Fuel for the fodder, okay? And I would suggest that our focus on living in the way of Jesus is no different. There are distractions that are costing us much more than we realize. And I don't have time today to, to unpack every distraction that, that we face as disciples of Jesus, but one of those, and I know, I know I'll get a few eye rolls here, but one of those is on or near every single person in this room. You know, and y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Your phone. Without going on a rant, um, which I'm prone to do about screens and phones, I just want to offer to you that we are creatures made for discipleship. 
We are made to follow. We are made to be shaped in the image of who or what we follow. And in our day and time, there are people and companies that exploit that truth about how we were made for their own profit and gain. And I think that we here in the church ought to be on the front lines pushing back, saying, Hippago, right? Be gone, Apple. Be gone. (laughs) Dallas Willard said that there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship, that's his word for discipleship, there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. But the question is, to whom or to what are you being apprenticed? What does your life show? So Matthew says here that Jesus began to show his disciples. What? Began to show them that he must go to Jerusalem. So Luke, in in his gospel account, says this, that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. And, And Luke was actually borrowing from Isaiah, where Isaiah talks about setting one's face like flint. So some translations of Luke actually say that Jesus set his face like flint. He was stone-focused on Jerusalem. And the point is that Jesus was unmovable. His full attention was on this task of getting to Jerusalem where he knew that he would suffer and die and, and be raised to life. And so it wasn't against his friend and companion and follower that Peter, follower Peter that Jesus aimed his harsh rebuke, you know, get behind me, Satan, but it was to the tempter who had reared his ugly face in the life of his friend and companion and follower that Jesus might be distracted from his path. It was as if Jesus said, you will not come between me and Jerusalem. In fact, you will be behind me watching as I win. And then Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Don't let any distractions come between you and me, between you and the God who created you and knows you and loves you and wants you to know him. In fact, deny yourself. Just go ahead and deny all of yourself because you're so prone to distraction and let me take to me. Let me show you a better way. Do you realize how sweet and good and kind and loving and peaceful and whole his way is. Have you been paying attention? C.S. Lewis has this, this great quote where he said it. He said, it comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. So I'm giving you homework. It's a new school year. Here's your first assignment, okay? Set a timer. I would say don't do it on your phone, but I know that's usually what you have at your disposal. So set a timer on your phone. Just put it, if you have an iPhone, put it on focus or do not disturb. If you have Android, I don't know what to tell you. Um, But the point is, no calls, right? No texts, no notifications, no screen, no temptations, solitude. And by solitude, um, I don't necessarily mean alone, but I just mean the absence of input, where you're 
taking in more and more, but stop, set a timer for 10 minutes and sit in the quiet of your home. It can be a bathroom or a closet or a back porch, or you can come up here to the church during the week. The sanctuary is open and it's usually empty. And for 10 minutes, just make this one prayer. It's really simple. Jesus, show me. Jesus, show me. And I'm not making a promise for God here, but I really and truly believe that if we will be disciplined and faithful to put away distractions and to pursue time with him and to sincerely sincerely ask for him to show us his way that he will be faithful to give us a full systematic theology that, no, he will be faithful to show us. He will give us a faith in action, a faith that can be shown to the world. Last week, Father Mark talked about mystery and revelation. And this is what it is to live in the tension of mystery and revelation, the mystery that God in his infinite love and wisdom would hear your prayer, would attend to your prayer, and the revelation that he brings to draw you toward him and to draw world in need toward him. So I challenge you to that uh, 10 minutes. doesn't have to be every day, but find 10 minutes this next week, all right, and report back next Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us who you are, for revealing yourself in word and action, for teaching us to push back against the forces of darkness that would have us distracted from your ways. I thank you for Jesus who brings us to life through his own. And we offer to you our whole selves that you might show the world more and more of your goodness and love. Amen.